And now let's turn our attention to what we're going to talk about today from 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, you can open them there with me. And uh, today we're going to talk about how the, the clock is ticking. Clock's ticking. Lots of life uh, pertains to time. Uh, things need to be done in a certain amount of time. Sermons are supposed to be done in a certain amount of time. Uh, but I, I think of even some of the TV shows that we watch, some of the game shows, certainly a lot of our sports are, are time-oriented uh, uh, and, and the clock ticks down as the contest is being played. I, I've, I've, in my later years, kind of taken to watching cooking shows, uh, enjoy those for whatever reasons. Uh, I'm cooking more, but uh, not in the ways that some of these, you know, master chefs are doing. My favorite shows are the ones, though, that are, are timed. You know, they, they basically get told... Uh, you know, like a, a show that I watch called Chopped, uh, you have 20 minutes to take, you know, this uh, pig snout and, uh, you know, caviar and uh, ugly fruit and uh, a bag of rocks and make a dessert out of it. And, and they say, time starts now, and then off you go. It's crazy uh, how uh, uh, quickly people can cook things. Uh, I better turn that off before it chimes on me. Um, but here's why I like the timing thing so much. It forces people to make decisions. You don't just have, you know, forever to decide what you're going to do. You have to, you have to live with an urgency. Determine: Am I going to try to make my plate look nice, or am I going to try to cook the thing the whole way through? Am I, um, what am I going to to make matter with the time that I have allotted to me? Uh, the text that we tackle today um, is built around this element of time. Uh, it's a reminder to us of the importance of, of us making the most of the lives that we've been given, the time that we've been given, because the clock, as Peter tells us, is ticking. Peter starts here in chapter 4. We're skipping forward to verse 7 of that chapter where it says this, The end of all things is at hand. Uh, Peter writes this statement, you'll note, without giving us an exact date. Anytime any biblical author talks about the end of things, which is a, uh, a message throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, um, no exact date is given. Uh, because no one, uh, writing back then or in this day and age, knows when the end of time will come. We just know that it will. I've read the books that postulate about the return of Christ, and I even enjoy from time to time discussing, you know, the possible signs that are happening and cropping up in our news feeds that, that could point to his coming. I, I, that's fun. But, but here's the deal. None of us will ever know when the end of time will come, except when it comes. But this I know. All of us should live this life like the end is near. And, and this is Peter's point as he opens this particular part of his letter uh, to these churches in Asia Minor. He says, hey, we must live this life with urgency, on purpose, knowing that our choices make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Now, having established this imminent end of all things as our chief motivation in life, we're living on a clock. Peter is now good enough to point to us or point us to the things uh, that a Christian's life should be given to before the proverbial clock runs down. Um, as we read these, morning, these verses this morning, you're going to notice that uh, a lot of what we're reading corresponds very nicely to the things that we have historically held to as a church. 
as such, I'd, I'd love to take a few seconds just to, to walk through uh, our mission statement and, and our core fours as we see them kind of revealed here in this passage in 1 Peter. Our mission is this. Maybe you'll say it with me as it appears on our screen, even there as you sit in your lazy boy or wherever you're watching this. Our mission, say it out loud with me, is we live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. It's worth saying again. Say it with me again. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. Nice work, all of you at home who read that out loud with me. Uh, I recognize that not everybody did. Uh, Some of you intentionally skipped out on the oral enunciation of our mission. I am not offended. I love you still. Uh, I also understand. I, I watch church online with all of you each Sunday. It's kind of weird listening to me preach to myself, but uh, I know how easy it is in this format to, to get distracted or to just not participate, maybe like you would if you were in the room. Now, you might even be in your kitchen right now, cleaning up after breakfast. Did I catch you? Or maybe you're getting that second cup of coffee or that third or fourth. Huh. Well, but some of you, I'm guessing you're present, you're in your chair, but, but maybe, just maybe, you're only half listening to me right now. you got your eye on something else that's going on. Uh, <laughs> I know, personally, that I am professional grade at distraction. I, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a half listener by habit. If, if, if half listening were a sport, I'd be an all-star every year. <laughs> it's just too easy to do in any context, to stare straight forward and peer like you're paying attention and be far, far away somewhere else. And some of you are saying, no, 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 Mark, I, I, I totally said that, that mission statement with you both times. I, I said it with full voice. Well, well good on you if you did. I'm, I'm so grateful for that, truly. But maybe you're like me, and, and you need reminding sometimes that the words that we say need to go beyond being just verbalized. They, they've got to register in our minds and in our hearts. They, they've got to be owned. I know I'm guilty of repeating all kinds of things at the behest of whoever's asking me to repeat them without ever thinking about or or even truly owning what I'm saying. So let me pause and give us a chance to catch up to that statement. The statement starts out like this. I live. That means that my very life is rooted in this one thing. I live to glorify God. It goes on and it helps me understand what that looks like. Glorifying God uh, means that I follow him. Uh, I seek to become like him in all that I think and all that I say and in all that I do. My life is fashioned around and dedicated to all that he reveals to me in his word. Everything from him and to him. Everything flows from him and to him in my life when I'm doing this right. We call this being a disciple. It's how we glorify God. But are becoming like him has an even greater purpose, and that's why we add it to this statement. A purpose that goes beyond just our personal lives. We, we understand that to glorify God, uh, we can't stop at just being a disciple ourselves. We have to move forward in giving our lives the making of additional disciples with him. So our deepening in him, our dependence on him, our devotion to him, God desires that all these things would be shared with others, with those around us, uh, those who are already following uh, him with us, and and those who have yet to see his light. God has redeemed us that we might be his agents, his partners, 
and the ongoing redemption of all mankind. So it's with that in mind that I'd ask us to say these words again, and this time with that understanding of what we mean when we say them. Ready? One more time, even the people who are in the kitchen. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. Now, in the execution of this mission, we here at Baylife have long held four principal pursuits that we believe encompass and therefore enable us uh, uh, to be successful in fulfilling God's mission for us. We've called them our core four, and they are as follows. Four more words for you to repeat with me. Everybody say them. We worship, we belong, we serve, and we multiply. Uh, like the legs on a, on a stool or on a chair. Uh, each of these are crucial for us in the Christ life and on our mission. Like the tires on your car, if one of them goes flat, you aren't going anywhere. Uh, so it is with these four things in our being successful in the mission that God has given us. Now, as we walk through our text today, getting back to 1 Peter, we're going to see that Peter covers um, in this text three of the four core pursuits uh, here in these next few verses. Um, we're going to cover the fourth, uh, the third and the fourth, uh, talking about serving and multiplying next week in our time. Uh, but I'd like to cover the first two this week. So let's watch these things unfold in Peter's writing as we read him together. He starts with what we start with in our four. He starts with worship. And if I could summarize the seventh verse of, of chapter four here in First Peter, I'd say this, stay focused in your personal pursuit of God. That's his commendation to us. Keep your worship in the right place. Now, he says this in verse seven. We already read the first part. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, since that's true, since the clock is ticking, as we live this life with an urgency, a, a, a purposefulness, therefore, let's be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. Pete says that in light of the end that is coming, uh, we who follow Jesus, we need to live with these two things, with sound judgment, uh, exercising self-control as we remain sober-minded in our thinking, not delusional, uh, not distracted, not hysterical, sober. Think right. Uh, control uh, the things that pass through your mind. Um, narrow your focus to the things that really matter. Now, we do, as followers of Jesus Christ, our lives intentionally. Uh, we walk in life with God's purposes for us as our guide, as they're revealed to us in his word. Now, we, we do this uh, Pete says, for the sake of our prayers. If you see that in the verse, which kind of is an interesting tie-in. I, I think Peter invokes our need to pray, certainly. He, he implies there we should be praying. Um, and I believe he is, uh, in addition to that, inferring to something beyond our, our merely, merely coming to God with just our lists, you know, our wants, our needs. Uh, if you could get me this, God, it'd be great. Um, what he's doing more so is pointing us to the relational connection uh, that our prayers afford us when we speak to him. Now, we talk all the time about how we as Christians live in a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You ever said some, heard someone say that? We're, we're not in a religion, we're in a relationship. It's true. Now, we're in a relationship because we truly believe. We don't have to go through some priest or 
some other agent to be able to talk to God, to be able to hear from God. We speak to him in our prayers. And in them we, in them we confide our deepest fears and our, our greatest hurts. We, we plead with him for the answers that we need for life's questions. Uh, we ask of him his favor in the circumstances that we face. And it's right for us to do so. We walk in relationship with God. He, in turn, speaks to us in a myriad of ways. Uh, he directs us through our reading of his word. Every time we read that, it's not supposed to come back void. We're supposed to hear from God and sense from him the direction that he has for us. He leads us through the words of those who are following him with us. We're going to talk about that today. God uses other Christians to shape me as a disciple. He speaks to me through them. Uh, If we're listening for him, I believe that God speaks directly to our spirits and he guides us uh, through our hearts, through his communication to us in our hearts to his best for us in life. All of this is ours as we seek him in our prayers. And you're like, okay, that's all good, Mark, but I thought we were talking about the four, you know, worshiping. Uh, I don't really think Peter's mentioned worship there. I haven't seen him use that word at all here in this verse. Well, you're right, he doesn't. At least not specifically by name. But let me kind of break down what I think Peter means when he talks about us being sober and self-controlled for the sake of our prayers. What I really think he's getting at is he's he's trying to help us um, stay focused and directed in our worship of God. Here's why. There's lots of ways, certainly, for us to define worship. At its root, uh, worship is basically the uh, ascribing of worth to something. I've heard it said that it's worth-ship. We're we're saying that something's worthy. Uh, But I I see worship uh, as this mix of Uh, of affection for a particular person or thing that leads to an adoration of that particular person or thing. Uh, I've heard uh, men speak of their wives uh, as someone that they worship the ground that she walks on. Like uh, they they love and worship her, but they they actually worship the vapor trail that she makes, I guess. (laughs) What they're really saying is I'm so crazy in love with this woman that I not only adore and worship her, but I adore the places that she's been, the, the, the paths that she's trod on, the, the things that she's touched. So I, I'd say that worship is, is manifested or seen in our love for and adoration for a particular person or thing. But here in verse 7, Peter's taking us back beyond those manifestations of our worship to the origins of our worship. Because before affection can be fostered, attention must be given. Before adoration can be lavished, attention must be given. If I'm not focused on something, it doesn't receive my worship. If if I'm not focused on someone, it cannot receive my worship. I can't make a big deal out of something that I'm not looking at or caring about. Um, As a young father, my young children would uh, come to me and say, hey, daddy, look what I can do. Look what I can do. Anybody remember that? Saying that as a kid yourself or uh, as a parent, hearing one of your kids say that to you. I'll confess, uh, sometimes, hopefully not most of the time, but sometimes I'd be busy, distracted, watching a game, um, talking with another adult that had come over for dinner or something like that. And um, I wouldn't really pay attention to whatever my kid was saying too busy to look, but still wanting to affirm them. I'd, I'd celebrate what I had failed to see by saying something like, way to go, buddy. Nice job. 
Um, but my words were really just hollow. I, uh, I wasn't tuned in to what they were receiving my praise for. Now contrast that uh, to the times in life when you go to your, your kid's event, whether it's a sporting event or, uh, you know, like my daughter in third grade had a solo in the school play. It was just her and the microphone and the soundtrack. And she and her mother uh, were, you know, or myself and her mother were sitting there watching her as uh, she sang this song. And uh, you're nervous for her and you're paying attention to every note and every word. And as she finishes, as she nails it, your heart fills up with love for her and your pride in her uh, is seen in the fact that you're standing when no one else is and you're clapping louder than anybody else is. And you're doing so because you have seen someone that you have adored. Your affection for them has overwhelmed your soul. And uh, it it just comes out. You can't contain yourself. I hope you picked up the difference in those two scenes. The difference lies in, in where a parent's attention is focused. So it is that worship starts with our focus, our sober minded, self-controlled attention. So let me ask us uh, this question. Where does our attention lie right now? What's getting the most of your attention? Uh, Is it waking up every day and uh, clicking on the news website that will give you the virus stats or or the news feeds that talk about the upcoming election and uh, the other stories in our culture that highlight our differences and divisions? Now, chances are, if that's what you're giving your attention to, it, it, it could be receiving, whether you mean to or not, your worship as well. Your heart is going towards those things as opposed to going towards the God who made you and the mission that he gave you. As a discipler, or excuse me, as a disciple, huh, we are followers. We are people uh, whose worship is focused on our leader, and on nothing else. We've taken Jesus at his word when he tells us to seek him first. We've understood that as we uh, walk this race marked out for us, like it tells us in Hebrews 12, that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So now may you and I live to glorify God by being disciples who worship him and worship him alone. So the clock's ticking. And Peter's already called us to a self-controlled, sober-minded connection with God in prayer. It's a right worship of him that he desires. But now he's going to go on and talk to us about uh, earth relationships, uh, relationships that we have with others who follow Christ in the church. Uh, And he's going to show us how that's an extension of this right right worship that he's called us to. Uh, He tells us in so many words here in the next verse, verse 8, to seek to love and be loved by others. If he uh, helped us understand what it is to worship. In uh, verse 7, he's, he's, he's helping us in these next couple of verses to understand how important it is to belong in loving relationships with each other. Look at it says in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. As, as we strive to keep our attention and affection trained on our God so that he gets our adoration, he and he alone, we are told here, and in lots of other passages in the Bible, to love one another. P- 
Peter describes it as an earnest love, an over-the-top, takes-me-beyond-my-usual-limits kind of love. We are to make this our aim in life, Peter says, above all. Here on this plane, uh, it's what matters most. For when we love in this earnest way, when we belong to each other in meaningful, life-giving relationships, we are able to uh, come against the sins that keep us from being focused on our God. I think that's what Peter means when he says that love covers over a multitude of sins. He's certainly not inferring, like some have mistakenly done in the past, um, uh, he's not inferring that love nullifies the effect of all sin and that love alone restores us to right standing with God in our relationship. Uh, I know the Beatles sang that all we need is love, uh, but our Bibles tell us that more is required uh, for us to overcome the division that our sin has caused between us and God. Our gospel has made it clear that it's through faith in the gracious saving work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that the curse of sin is removed from us. God's love certainly initiated the work of Christ, but, but love alone does not atone. Not everybody gets in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And it's our faith in Christ that is required of us if we are to make him not just our Savior, but our Lord. It's, it's driven by our faith. So Peter's not saying that, that love um, dismisses sin. So what is he saying? He's saying <clears throat> that love, uh, our love for each other specifically, our, our presence in each other's lives, our loving presence in each other's lives, um, is there to help us war against the sins, the things that would distract us from our worship of God. It helps us cover over those things, to move away from those things and move forward in our pursuit of him. Therefore, we should belong to each other because in doing so, we get to learn from each other all that God wants to teach us in our personal journey with him. Like I said earlier, he speaks to us through each other and he makes us better followers, better disciples in the context of our relationships and our belonging. Now, we, we get to model for each other what being a better disciple of Christ looks like in this context of loving relationships. I played uh, basketball in high school, and the, uh, the gym, the big gym, was right next to a, <clears throat> a room off the side that was called the mat room. It's where the wrestlers practiced. And I had this friend, Roger, um, who uh, was huge. Uh, he, he was a heavyweight wrestler. Uh, we were good pals, same grade, and um, I would be leaving the locker room to head my basketball practice, and, and he'd poke his head out of the mat room and say, Hey, Saunders, come here. I want to show you this new move. Oh, I knew this wasn't going to be good. Um, for whatever reason, I, I would head into that room, and, and Roger would pretzel me into some you know, submission move uh, that he had learned from his coach that had been done to him <laughs> as a uh, uh, as, as he wanted to you know, be able to make this a part of his repertoire, he had to practice it on someone else. And so uh, I was roughly his size, and he chose me as the one uh, who would uh, be the recipient of his move. Uh, in a weird way, uh, that's a lot what it's like for us to be in relationship with each other. God teaches us the next moves. He shows us the things uh, that we need in our own lives, but he shows them to us so that they won't terminate there in our own lives. He shows them to us so that we can share them with other people. And sure, the wrestling moves are painful. Uh, 
<laughs> becoming more like Jesus sometimes can feel like we're being put in a pretzel. It uh, can feel like we're, we're losing parts of ourselves that we don't want to lose. But regardless, this is how God has designed things to work. Together, we learn from each other what it looks like to be better and more devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I think back to my becoming a disciple, uh, most of what I know about following Jesus was more caught than taught. Uh, I've had the blessing uh, throughout my Christian life of, of having uh, men and women uh, come into my life who, um, because of their love for me and commitment to me, uh, did much in my belonging to them uh, to show me what it is to be like Jesus. I'm uh, so grateful for my mom, who was a, a big part of my spiritual journey. My wife, Eleanor, um, who I have the extra blessing of being married to and parenting kids with. and uh, But as, as we got to know each other, I, I learned so much from her uh, spiritual walk and just how she uh, saw and loved uh, Jesus and those uh, that God had put in her life. I think about uh, my youth pastor in high school, a guy named Jack, who gave me my first job in ministry and who not only as a, just a Christian showed me what it was like to follow Christ, but as a pastor, uh, taught me what it looked like to lead those who follow Christ. I think about uh, people that I was kind of the mentor to, who taught me more than I think I taught them. Uh, guys like Brandon Theobald and Adam Dean, two students that I had just for a year in uh, high school ministry, uh, who did more as 18-year-olds to impact my um, uh, understanding of and love for God than, than lots of other people that I've spent more time with. Um, I'm just grateful uh, that God works this way. He works through relationships, not just ours with him, but ours with each other to make us more like Jesus. Now, we need to note uh, here in verse 9 that uh, Peter's giving us further instruction on what it looks like to belong to each other. He says this in verse 9. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know if he'd gotten, like, uh, you know, notes or or uh, messages from the churches in Asia Minor uh, complaining about certain people not being you know, hospitable or when they were hospitable, just complaining about it the whole time. Um, certainly in the early church, hospitality, just being kind and opening your home and, and, and doing life with other people, it was particularly crucial uh, for the early church. Um, missionaries would, would come to town and need a place to stay. They, they couldn't just go down to the La Quinta uh, they had to stay in the homes of those who would keep them. Uh, hospitality was certainly necessary in a, in, a, in a church world where there weren't buildings. Uh, if you wanted to be a part of a church, someone was going to have to open their home. And I'm so grateful for the many who open their homes for our life groups and show hospitality to other believers here in our body. Um, certainly hospitality looks something like that now. Um, but if I can, I'd like to focus on just those last two words of what Peter says here in this verse. Uh, he says, show hospitality, uh, above all, love, um, and do so without grumbling. Huh. Um, man, isn't it true that sometimes uh, we can just get tired of being in relationships with people? People hurt. I, I was told this once as I was uh, growing up as a pastor. Maybe it was a seminary prefer, professor who said this, but yeah, he said, hey, don't forget, sheep bite. <laughs> they bite each other. They bite the shepherds. 
Um, at times, relationships are hard. Uh, we get our feelings hurt. Uh, we get shunned, and um, or we can just get tired. Uh, breaks are needed to recharge uh, our tanks, certainly. But here's a caution that I would make sure that we have, even as we move forward in a world that might depend more on uh, things being done online or, or whatever. Um, as long as there is a church, there should and must be relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. Belonging is how we are designed. Now, we need the love that God has commanded each of us to give to each other to be able to keep going in this life with him. It's, it's how he's designed it to work. So let's love. Let's be hospitable. Let's belong and be connected, and let's do so without complaint, even when it's hard going. Now, let's belong to each other so that we can stay focused in our worship of God. Now I'm going to pick up there next week, and we'll finish the rest of this passage with you then. We'll walk through what Peter has to say about serving God. Uh, that's coming next. If you want to read ahead, go ahead. I encourage you to do so. Uh, but we'll also dig uh, further into what it means to multiply, into what it means to um, be disciples ourselves, but to make disciples with God. I, I can't wait to share with you what God is teaching me and reteaching me about these things from this passage. I hope you'll join us, whether it's live or online. We'll see you there. But let me leave us with a couple questions today as we close. How about this one? We'll start here. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being, I'm a total mess, no purpose at all, and 10 being, I think I'm the fourth member of the Trinity, um, where would you say you are right now when it comes to living this life on purpose, to living with an urgency, to, to recognizing uh, as uh, this end, as Peter referred to, refers to it, is drawing near. Uh, you recognizing that your choices make a difference in your life and in the lives of others. Now, if you're anywhere below a 10, here's my next question. What, what needs to change so that you and I can, can move forward, can go higher on that scale in becoming focused on the one who deserves our worship? Now, I know that we all need to be spurred on uh, toward this higher calling that Paul refers to in Philippians, this higher calling that we have in Christ Jesus. And so may God grant us the desire and the will and the strength to glorify him by being a, a disciple who makes disciples. And maybe this season has been particularly hard when it comes to deepening in your own faith, and, and you need his help to be sober-minded and self-controlled. Uh, you need more time connecting with him and, and less time worrying about what you can't control. Can I, can I encourage you right now to take this step? If you're watching online and, and you're watching the conversation kind of happen on this feed, there's, there's people in that conversation that are there as prayer partners, as pastors, who want to connect with anybody who might be needing to take next steps. Now you should, you know, dial in and pray with them and and, and, and take steps to move from where you are to where you need to be. Maybe you need to call someone or text someone in your life group and ask them to pray with you. Maybe you need to email me or any other member of our pastoral team that we might be of some encouragement to you. Whatever it is, 
Here's the deal. I don't want us ever to hang out around God's word and see the things that he has for us there in them and, and not react, not change if he's calling us to do so, not restart if that's what he's asking of us. Don't settle for a cluttered mind or misguided worship of things that don't matter, things that are outside of the worship we're meant to give our God. Uh, let's lean into those around us who can help us and encourage us in our lives as disciples. Now, speaking of leaning, let me ask you this question. Uh, are you someone who belongs to others here in our body? Have you given of yourself and hospitality to those around you? Are you allowing God to use you to make better disciples of those that he brings into your life, whether they know him yet or have known him for a long time? Are you belonging to people in meaningful, loving relationships in such a way uh, that they can grow forward in their relationship with Christ? Furthermore, are you letting God use those around you to impact you as you seek to be a better disciple of him? Uh, I'm, I'm here to let you know, and Tom will talk about this more in our announcements, but we have this great opportunity that happens around this time every year for you to get connected to one of these life groups that I was just referring to. Uh, it's a group that typically meets in, in someone's home. It's a, a couple's group or a men's group or a women's group or a student group. There's all kinds of groups, but, but, but you can be a part of any one of them and, and start, if you haven't yet, belonging to those in the body of Christ uh, by joining us in what we call group link. Um, even this age of, of being together apart with everything that's being impacted by the virus, uh, this truth remains. We still need each other. So if you're in a group, my, my encouragement is for you to stay connected, even if you're in the summer break, you know, just uh, even this week, everybody who's in a group, please uh, make it your mission to just uh, connect with those in your group or at least a few of those in your group and let them know that uh, you're praying for them, that you're um, grateful to God to have life with them and uh, that you look forward to the times that you're going to be growing together this year. Um, if you're not in a group, my, my, my ask of you, my my hope for you as your pastor is that you'll belong to some group somewhere uh, and by belonging uh, to some other believers, uh, God will use those relationships to keep you connected to him. I can't wait to finish this message next week, but for now, let's close in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you uh, mindful of your mission for us. And as we seek to glorify you, God, by being disciples, help us to stay focused on you as, as we dedicate all of our worship to you and you alone. Help us to understand the importance of being in relationship with each other. Above all, may we love earnestly and show hospitality and connect with each other in these relationships that you use to, to hone in our focus and, and, to, and to help us in our worship and, and, and to lead us in becoming the disciples you want us to be. And God, even as uh, we kind of continue to try to figure out life in this age that we live in, um, may you make everything else in this world melt away. And would you give us, God, just this heart, this, this, this jump-off spot of dependence on you, of uh, dependence on each other, and use us, God, to serve you and your world, to to make disciples wherever you give us opportunity. We pray all of these things because you make it possible through the love 
that you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, like I said, Tom has lots to tell you. Hopefully you'll stick around and listen to all these things uh, that are coming up in our future together as a church. Until I see you next week, live or online, God bless you and peace.